Hello, and welcome back to the What the Fork Sunland Preview Podcast. Sunland produced arguably their best performance of the season on Saturday as they demolished the informed Doncaster Rovers by four goals to one. But such as fate, our League One bogey team awaits us this weekend as we face bottom of the table, Burton Albion. And to discuss Saturday's game at the Prelly is Brewers BBC Radio Matchday summariser and long-standing Burton fan, Tony Bentley. How are you doing, Tony? Are you all right? Yeah, good morning, Graham. Glad to be on. It's nice to have a morning podcast. I've been doing a few ones. I normally do it on the evening, but it's nice to get up and be fresh and feel productive. Um, I think, as I said in the intro, it's it's fair to say Burton have become a bit of a bogey team for Sunderland in League One. I think, in fact, since you relegated us into League One, we failed to beat you even once. So how much do you enjoy facing Sunderland then? Well, a lot of teams obviously, you know, get front. It's a big club, you know, big Premier League club. And as you just said there, Burton have been to the stadium like four times and never lost. The only time they've actually lost was uh, Chris Coleman's first game in charge in the championship. And uh, you you won 2-0 with a couple of late goals. And that was at a point when Burton, both teams ended up getting relegated that season. But Burton were just on a run where they went from September to March and took four points from 17 games. So don't don't read too much into it in that game. I remember that game in specific, actually. I remember that being, feeling like that was the game Sunderland were going to turn around the championship season. And Coleman was with the fans and all that kind of stuff. But you touched on the runner form that you had then. It felt like at that point, uh, Burton might have sort of drifted off. But you were quite unlucky to go down that season in the championship, if I remember correctly. I think it was like a last-minute goal for Bolton or something like that. Yeah, Bolton came from behind to beat Forest 4-3, where Burton were a point ahead of them for the last game. But it was, yes, it was it was gut-wrenching at that time. But it was the home form. They took four points from 17 games between September. They got seven from the first four and then didn't win until they beat Derby. They lost 5-0 to Hull and you thought, oh, they're down. And then they went and beat Derby and then they beat Bolton to give them the, give them the chance, having already beaten Sunderland the week before. And uh, that was a weird game at the Stadium of Light because obviously Bent scored, didn't he, coming back yeah. to the ground. And then uh, Liam Boyce got a, a late goal as well. And... Uh, a lot of people hadn't realised that Sunderland were relegated because they, they saw Bolton and Burton where they were, but they hadn't realised that Burton and Bolton were playing each other the next week, so one team was going to get at least a point. And it was, I would remember standing at the metro station with the fans and you know the, it wasn't really sinking into them at that point. Yeah, I remember that day quite specifically. It was the one day I managed to get into the players' lounge after my 34 years of supporting Sunderland and maybe the worst <laughs> day to be maybe the worst day to be in there. But um, I think it's fair to say since those times, even since our last game, things have changed since we last faced each other. I think both clubs have new managers. Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank's gone in with uh, Burton. We've obviously got Lee Johnson. Um, before we get onto the the upturn form since he's arrived, let's say I'm a complete ignorant Sunderland fan here that doesn't really look too far past Wearside, but it seems that Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank is really well liked at Burton because of his previous exploits, but Obviously, he did leave, so you never know how a fan base feels about someone. But can you run me through a little bit how Burton fans reacted to him returning to the club? I think a few fans were sort of worried that, you know, he he returning. Nigel Clough had returned and it obviously, he picked up the Jimmy Floyd's team that time. And this time it's the role reversal. Nigel Clough had gone. J- Nigel Clough had said Jake Buxton would be a good manager. And he was he was given the reins on the same day that he left. But things weren't working out. Burton were conceding goals of 50 goals in the first 22 games. It was it wasn't hard to see where things were going wrong, and um, the chairman was took a, took a quick decision. We lost 4-3 at home to Wigan. It was really a must-win game between Christmas and New Year, and by New Year's Day, Jimmy had come back, and 
whatever people say about Jimmy, he's such a flamboyant player. He's a really, really hard. He, he really organises his teams, and it's always very important, I think, to have who your who your number two was. And then this time, he's brought Dino Mamrio with him. They've both done some of their UEFA courses together. Um, but Dino's got an extensive knowledge of the lower leagues, having gone in and done firefighting jobs at Oldham and Stevenage before. And uh, I think the two of them, the, the, with their work ethic and their, the, the, the talent that they've brought in, you know, they've brought in 11 players since January the 1st. And, uh, you know, there is actually a player for every position. And he, he came in and he said, I want two players for every position because we know there's going to be a lot of Saturday, Tuesday games because, the, because of the compressed season. And so at this moment in time, Burton really haven't had, they've had, and they've had a few games postponed. There was a COVID outbreak and then Doncaster was still in the cup. So they've had most of January working with the new players to get things organised. And you've seen from day one, the first game, they went to Gillingham. He brought in a young centre-half, Hayden Carter from Blackburn. He'd only played two appearances at Blackburn and they were sort of meaningless games. He's come in. He's played four games at centre-half, Burton and Gazzini, one goal. He's brought in two new full-backs. He's brought in a midfielder, Sean Clare from Oxford, a box-to-box midfielder. And we go back to when he was here before. He had Tom Naylor, who's now still performing at Portsmouth, and a lad called Robbie Weir, who was a, an ex-Sunderland player. Well, he, 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 yeah. he, he met his wife up, here, up in Sunderland. Um, they used to be his, used to sit in front of the back four and be his box-to-box men. And now he's got Sean Clare and an Australian lad called Ryan Edwards to do similar things. And uh, Burton have just become very, very organised suddenly. And uh, it was a must-win game at Northampton Saturday. And they did, they did enough to win the game. They never really looked like conceding after the first couple of minutes. And uh, Burton now three wins out of four. And uh, yes, they are still bottom, but all the teams around them, when Jimmy was appointed, had a lot of games in hand. They've all, all those games in hand have gone now. Burton have won three and four, and none of the other teams have won that many combined. Talking about um, Jimmy Floyd and Burton, I suppose, especially a lot of clubs... Especially with something from from memory, going back never tends to work for a lot of clubs. But I would say, to be fair, apart from recently, it sort of did work with Nigel Clough. I wouldn't say he had far from a poor second spell, um, relatively consistent. Because of Nigel Clough coming back and Nigel Clough doing quite well, do you think there was less fear of uh, don't go back with Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank then? I don't think there was a fear because I think it's almost a win-win situation because he Burton was so far adrift that if Burton go down, then the blame is a lot on Jake Buxton. But if he keeps them up, he becomes a cult hero. Yeah, that is very true, actually. Um, so, you know, his, his, his market value, I think, is, is a win-win. So he comes in. He's reinventing himself as a manager because he's, he had the, the spell at QPR where he went and tried to apply the same work ethic to the, the ex-Premier League stars. And I think some have had, had similar cases themselves. And then um, that eventually didn't work out because they eventually rebelled and performances didn't pick up. He went to Northampton Town and he had a different assistant. He had Dean Austin, I think, was the continuity with the Northampton Town there. David Oldfield didn't go with him. And uh, that... He eventually got sacked from them five games before the end of the season when they got relegated out of League One. And he, and since that point, he's just been doing Sky Punditry work, really. So, uh, you know, he's 48 now. And uh, I think, obviously, he got the phone call from the chairman on the night of the, the Wigan defeat. And uh, that was the night Jake Buxton left. And it was announced on New, New Year's Day. So he, sat, he had a watching mantra for the 5-1 the humbling by Oxford 
United, making lots of notes. Him and Dino were sat behind the, the press box, shouting out instructions. And from that point forward, there's been a, a, a real changing of the guard. Burton had a quite an old, there was like six players over 30 started Buxton's last game against Wigan. And suddenly he's brought in 11 players and eight of them are 24 or less. Because there's been a there's been a huge upturn in players, a huge upturn in form as well. I've noticed that. Um, before I go go into it, because obviously I've pinpointed probably where you, you have improved from statistics alone, which doesn't tell the whole story. But um, I think it's a bit different in League One when it, when a player leaves you in the Premiership to go to another club. Nine times out of ten, you have a little bit of resentment. In League One, sometimes when a player or a manager goes above the leagues i.e. Josh Madger, it frustrates you, it drives you mad. You hope that your club gets something decent from it, which we probably didn't with Madger, but you do wish them well nine times out of ten. So when Jimmy Floyd went to QPR, which would have been like the step up at the time, um, I think QPR would have been the championship, did that rankle with Burton fans or was it kind of well wishes so that didn't make it awkward for him coming back? I think it was always a case that if a if a club closer to home <laughs> in a higher league came up, then that was it was a... A thing and the QPR situation had been uh, bubbling for a while, and uh, but it was the it was the second season in a row that that happened because Gary Rowett had left Birmingham and that's gone right. to Birmingham, and and that's how, and how Jimmy came in. So it was, and the daft thing is, both those seasons, but one League Two when it was the Gary Rowett Jimmy season, and then they got they finished runners up to Wigan, who ended up spending about four million pound in the January and beat us by a point. To get in, to go straight through into the championship under Jimmy and Nigel Clough. So it it's it wasn't it wasn't the be all and end all because the, the the same players were doing the same thing, but they just became hard to beat. But obviously then it became very different in the championship because it was they'd gone straight through League One. And that was a bizarre situation that you know Little Burton playing against yourselves and the Newcastle you know Newcastle United fans and. Uh, Leeds United and Derby County playing Burton in league games was completely unknown. And uh, from, you know, first year they did really, really well. The second year they lost a little bit of that unknown factor because they had a little ground where the fans were very close to the pitch. And sometimes when players make mistakes at Burton, the fans were saying they could look them in the eye and they were cracky. You don't get that at a big stadium. <laughs> and uh, second, se- second season syndrome, that fear factor had gone because most teams had already been there before. And maybe that was part of the reason why they, you know, they didn't survive because they didn't score enough goals. And unfortunately, they, they bought Liam Boyce for a record deal and he, he did his cruciate knee ligament in pre-season and they never replaced him. So goals were always at a premium. And Boyce did well as well, didn't he? I suppose it was... It's funny, you know, I was looking through Burton players, Burton managers and things like that. And as much as, you know, on paper at the moment, you're at bottom of League One and there's been a difficult start of the season, which seems to be upturning. It's fair to say anyone who leaves Burton does tend to go on like an upward trajectory. Um, you know, Nigel Clough, even when he left, went to Sheffield United, he was at Derby. Um, Jimmy Floyd went to QBR. You've got players like Liam Boyce and now at Hart, who obviously are a massive club. But there's plenty of players that go to Burton, do really well, and end up going high up the leagues, even if it's not like Premier League. You still get like good championship level players. Is there something that Burton do that produce such um, well, good good players, essentially? I mean, Tom Naylor's another one. I know Tom Naylor almost came to Sunderland as well, didn't he? If I believe correctly. Yeah. I just think, I think players come to Burton. Um, St George's Park training is, is a big appeal. Uh, I think Burton have never paid big wages. They've never splashed the cash. They were never, the, the chairman's so prudent, he won't actually spend silly money. But I think players know that if they come to Burton, 
they will actually get paid every month, which you can't say for a lot of lower league clubs. There's a stability thing about it. Um, it's right in the middle of the country, which is another lure that within two hours of Burton, there was most of the population of England. So in this day and age, players haven't got to relocate to somewhere. Say you're going to play at Plymouth or, or to move up to Sunderland. It, it, it is a big family up thing. And Burton have always bought into this. If, if the players are happy off the field, they perform better on the field. So there's always been a good sort of social care side to players, making sure that they're happy and training sessions are fitted in around outside of peak travelling when people were on the roads, that the players were only travelling in at good times. So all those sort of things, you know, it gives a sort of happy feel about the place. And uh, Burton have always said that, that they've never stood in a, in, in a player's way if, if a bigger club comes in for somebody as well. So, you know, they're not going to you know, fend off silly money or whatever. They'll always take the money and then try and reinvest again. Yeah, and I think sometimes that's kind of the cycle of a League One club and how it, it should work. I'm kind of starting to get used to it a little bit because we kind of fell into League One out of nowhere. Um, but it is kind of two-year contracts. Sometimes you, you make sure that... If you have a player that performs well, you get maximum value. Obviously, we haven't done that, but that's another story for another day. But I think that's a lot of the way that League One clubs do sort of work. Um, now, back onto the current form of Burton. Uh, obviously, he wasn't actually officially in charge, but I think he was announced maybe the day beforehand or on the day. Um, lost 5-1 at home against Oxford. But since Jimmy Floyd's actually been in the dugout, you've won three of the last four. Um what has changed then with his arrival? Because that's quite a drastic change. I think with three wins is more than you've had the entire season before he came in. Yeah, yeah, won five games all season and won three out of the last four, all, yeah. all with clean sheets as well. It's organisation. He's had he's they've worked really hard. All the players who've come in have said they have worked so so hard, fitness wise. You know, really really working them. And uh, the time before Burton were the fittest team in League One and League Two, uh, winning so many games late on. And um, I think they've brought back into that all the players that are coming in. There's, there's a lot of youngsters. He's picked up three youngish kids: Tom Hamer from uh, from Oldham, uh, you know, a young sort of lad. They picked up a lad called Terry Taylor. He's only 19 from Wolves, and they're, they're putting these lads on two and a half year contracts with a, with a view to nurturing them, looking, you know, getting some reinvestment in money because Burton in the few, last few seasons have picked up too many perhaps players in the 30s who have got no resale value. So the cycle is that in this day and age, I think, I think Burton have got to look for some money from somewhere, especially with you know what COVID's done and stop the uh, the behind the scenes side, which is probably bigger at Burton and a lot of other clubs because they've never had a lot of fans, but they've had a, a corporate side that has entertained two or three hundred people and done businesses and weddings and things, and that's all that, that a lot of the profit from that's gone on the playing side. So that does affect Burton. But no, Jimmy's brought in. He's brought in also a bigger side. Um, eight of his 11 signings are over six foot. And one of the ones who isn't is five foot 11. So suddenly Burton are a much more physical side. They were quite a small side. They've got a lot younger legs. So under 24, so with people with legs that can go up and down the pitch for 90 minutes because Burton had conceded so many goals in the last half hour of games where possibly the older players were running out of steam. And so it's, yeah, organisation, legs, physicality, They've got one of the lads who can now take a long throw. They've never had that option. He's bought options and he's, he's always said he wants four centre-halves. He's now got four people divine for centre-halves because he wanted two players for every position. So suddenly now Burton are well-equipped for the second half of the season and uh, face a real test on Saturday. 
We've seen, well, we said off air before about the amount of players that were being brought in. Um, I did notice the amount of, I think at this level, quality arrivals that have come to the club, they're players that, you know, I know of, which I'll be honest, isn't always the case, even with some of the players that we bring in. Um, Johnny Smith's obviously been good at this level for a while. I think he had a good start of the season as well. Josh Earl's been a good sign-in. Sean Clare, I know from Hearts. You mentioned Terrell Taylor coming in from Wolves as well. Um, who've been the most impressive of the new signings? Sean Clare has really stood out the last two games. Um, a box-to-box midfielder, a six-foot-three midfielder, which is, is quite rare. And the last time Burton had a midfielder like that was Tom Naylor. And that, that was a success. Just just the big man to sit in front of the, the back four. Um, I know from the, the times before, when Jim, he wanted him and Robbie Weir, the former Sunderland lad, just to actually win the headers from balls coming into the box so that the centre-halves could pick up the second ball, where if your centre-halves go in for the ball and miss it, then there's all space behind and uh, just makes them a little bit more solid there, having that sort of things. You know, they picked up Michael Mancian last week. Uh, I saw that. Uh, you know, had a contract. You know, just, yeah, but he's only, he's only, he only just turned 33 a month ago. So, you know, he was so young when he was a... a Wolves on loan and uh, had a hundred odd games at uh, at Nottingham Forest. So just a little bit of experience again there. The the lad Hayden Carter that picked up from Blackburn on loan, big centre half, six foot three. He's only twenty one. So uh, it's he's actually putting a, a spine into the team. So you've got Carter and Michael Boswick's a big centre half. He, he played alongside Carter on Saturday. Claire sitting in midfield there with Ryan Edwards, who's a, the Australian other ex-Hearts player, a box-to-box midfielder. Um, unfortunately, they've got Kane Hemmings is out injured. He picked up a calf strain a few weeks ago, so Lucas Aikens has been playing up front. But they've got Josh Parker, who's another player who's been around the lower leagues, experienced player up there. Ryan Broom on loan from Peterborough. And as you said there, Johnny Smith, who uh, looks at an exciting prospect as well. So it's a completely different team to what Sunderland faced in November. Yeah, and I mean, Sean Clare, obviously, I live in, in Glasgow, so Sean Clare is someone I watched, and I know Hearts fans at the time, even though they were relegated, were quite disappointed to lose him at the time to Oxford. Um, obviously, Johnny Smith's done well, I think, at Swindon, start of the season. Um, there's numerous players in there where basically they look like a, a completely different squad. Um, going back to the, the start of the season a little bit, just so we can get an understanding on where it went wrong, I suppose, essentially. Um, Nigel Clough left in the summer. I remember being you know, naive, not really knowing much of what was going on outside of Sunderland with, you know, COVID, lockdown, all that kind of stuff. Um, he's obviously gone on to Mansfield, but it's fair to say that I think Nigel's probably a bit of a legend of Burton. Um, and he left, it seemed, for financial reasons is what was coming out of the club. But um, what what was the thinking behind club leaving? Was the problems because of COVID and things like that? Was it a case of we need to, you need to put somebody else in? What was the circumstances? I, I Well, the, the story is that he said he's left, you know, took his... Um, his brother and uh, one of his and Gary Crosby with him because of, because of financial reasons. But then I've seen interviews since where he said he probably would have gone in the summer anyway. You know, he probably needed something refreshing. Mm-hmm. Um, but and but the trouble is he left May 18th of May, and then the same day the announcement was Jake Buxton was taking over. I think Nigel had recommended him as a, a seamless transition, um, and then Jake went out and. Resigned a lot of the the players who were out of contract, Colin Daniel, um, Stephen Quinn, people around the around the squad. So there wasn't really a refresh of many players. He brought in Michael Boswick and Neil Eardley, but they were both 32 at the time. So there was no real young legs coming in. We get to the start of the season, lost the first game at Fleetwood, won the second game against Accrington. Then there were some loans came in, and there was five loans coming, but. 
there were a lot of them were midfielders and Burton, we were looking through the Burton squad, there's about 15 people could play in midfield, yet they were only playing three. So uh, one of the things to me is you bring loan players in to improve your starting alone, not to not to, to increase your squad. You go back to the game at Sunderland, there was one loan player who was Sam Hughes, the centre-half, and one other lone player on the bench. So they weren't influencing the starting eleven. Um, so there was, a, you know, maybe a case there. So what's happening? All those lone players have gone back. Jimmy's come in, brought in a whole new set of five lone players. And we've now got four lone players starting every game, including you, Sean Clare, you, Ryan Broomsfitch, you know, Josh Hill, people who are influencing the game. And I think that was possibly the mistake that Jake came in and appointed the, the, the sports scientist became his, like his assistant, Chris Beardsley, brought in uh, Luke Varney, who we knew from his times at Derby as a, another coach, Ross Atkins, who had been at Derby with. So it was um, surrounding himself with familiarity, possibly missed out on bringing in an experience number two, just for somebody to buy, bounce the ideas off. And uh, eventually it, the, the results didn't really pick up. Amazingly, they had a, a great win against Charlton, which was only their second win because Charlton were, were pushing at that point. And uh, it came to a head, obviously, over, over Christmas. They lost to Doncaster before Christmas. They got thump 5-1 at Lincoln. They got lost 4-3 to Wigan. And then they lost 5-1 to Oxford. And uh, by that point, Jake Jake got the push after the, the Wigan game. Almost got an ultimatum that if things don't improve, you don't win the game. Thank you. And uh, the chairman took decisive action because maybe he didn't trust Jake to make the right signings in January to keep them up. So... With money being such a premium this season, especially at a club like Burton, it needed some fresh ideas, and that's what Burton have got. It seemed like from um, the outside looking in, obviously Jake Buxton being a player previously uh, with Derby and Burton, and that that was literally all he'd been as far as I'm aware. He didn't do any coaching or anything like that outside of the norm um, that he might have been doing because of his age. But it totally an experienced appointment. Like, how tough of an ask do you think that was to ask him to take over? Well, I think he, he has done his coaching badges. He'd done them from quite an early age. And uh, I think I think it was a recommendation from Nigel Clough. You know, Jake would be the, the man in it would continue sort of thing. But unfortunately, it didn't work out like that. And it maybe at that point it needed a, a new idea. And, uh, you know, we'll never know whether Jimmy would have considered coming back in the summer if he'd been asked or if anybody else would have been appointed. But, you know, the first the fans knew was, oh, Nigel Clough's left and Jake's been appointed. There was no, no gap any time to, to breathe it was almost straight away because and you know he'll, have the, he'll go away as a probably the only manager of Burt's history that's never played in front of fans because he was appointed yeah. during COVID and he, there was two matches one at Ipswich and one at MK Dons where there was 2,000 fans but never having a home fans to see him forgetting what fans are these days maybe, yeah but... <laughs> <laughs> um I think it would say, and again, I'm talking again from a totally outsider's perspective, which is, I suppose, why we do this to kind of get the real lowdown on, on the clubs that we're playing. But um, it seemed like for a long time, due to the form that was being shown under Buxton, Burton would probably be one of the serves to drop out of League One outside of maybe, say, Wigan. Um, but now you're only two points from safety with games in hand on most of the teams around you, although level on games with the team that's fifth from bottom, which is who you really need to catch. But based on the the form since you've come in, three wins out of four, is there now a, a real genuine belief that this season can not only be escaped relegation, but have a really positive end to the season and start climbing the league? Yeah, I think the, the, the fans have really, really suddenly excited. I think there was a, a resignation of rele relegation, as you were saying at that point before, but suddenly everybody's in reach and Burton are in a, a seven-team league and, and all they do is finish third 
in the top three of that really, as long as there's four teams below them. And Burton's form, I think, is given the start especially because all these new players, to me, can only get better the more that they play with each other in situations. So, uh, you know, we just have to pick off, make sure we don't lose or try and beat every team around them because, as you say, there's still 20 games to play. And uh, do try and upset some of the bigger teams who, are, you know, might, might just take their eye off Burton. But, you know, just hopefully catch a few teams unaware and uh, some comfortably finish in, in League One. And then they've got some permanent young people like Johnny Smith, as mentioned there, and Tom Hayem and Terry Taylor, people to build a squad around for, for, for the next season and have a real go again. It's most definitely, a, I mean, we talk about how tight it is at the top, how, I mean, we've been awful at times sometimes this season, and yet we still somehow are not that far off the top with a good run. We could quite easily get automatic promotion, but it feels the same right across the league, doesn't it? I don't know if it's just because of the, the pandemic and the way the, the league's being played, but it's tight all across the league. You can be rooted to the bottom for weeks, win a couple of games, and all of a sudden you can start looking at the middle of the table. I mean, have you ever known a, a league be so tight? Is, is it no, I think, the, I think the lack of fans has levelled things out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look at Sunderland, where Burton come to Sunderland and take the lead. You know, it's made it a little bit easier for certain teams. You know, you go to Fratton Park and the, the end there is full of fans and, you know, they're really cheering the fans. So I think it has levelled out and brought a lot of teams closer together. And it is really, it's just a consistency factor. All teams will have a bad run. But mm-hmm. the teams that win leagues have the have the, the shortest bad run and the longest winning run. And at this moment in time, Lincoln are on that on that on that form run, aren't they? They've they've come and pushed and got a bit of a gap now. Hull have had a little bit of a wobble. Yes, Burton beat Hull the other week, and you know they Burton had lost every game to Hull before that, and then Burton played Hull the other Saturday, and Hull never got a shot on target the whole game. That's how much Burton have tied it up. You know, they've tightened things up, made themselves hard to beat, and then obviously got the, the ultimate 90th minute goal and give them a chance to recover. So uh, it, is, it, is, it is a very tight league, and it, all it needs is a team to have two or three wins at any put anywhere in the table, and they, they shoot up the table. Accrington did, didn't they? They, they had that COVID yeah. spell earlier in the season, they, they, they had the least number of games, and suddenly they've been around the playoffs since they've been playing. Yeah, I mean, Accrington appeared out of nowhere, and it was all of a sudden we were behind them they had two games in hand on us and we were about seventh so I remember just the whole season just being quite bizarre in that sense um talking of Sunderland obviously we're speaking before our Papa John's semi-final so to speak but I think all concentrations on the league to be honest um <laughs> things are quite well in Sunderland land for once unless we get hammered on Wednesday and this is going out if if so I do apologize um Charlie White scored four um on Saturday Aidan McGeady assisted four both players I think essentially it looked like they've been the, the talk of League One because they're both so outstanding. Are you worried that Burton, despite the good form, might be meeting something at a wrong time when we might be on a bit of a run? I think Burton will relish the challenge. I think it's. I think the fans and the players will see it to see to, they want to match themselves against the better teams to see how much they have improved. Um, you know, I think the you know the Aidan McGeady story always makes me laugh because he got frozen out having played against Burton under. Bill Parkinson, he scored and Burton came to the stadium in like 1-2-1 one, one, and he never played again under Parkinson and suddenly he's back again and uh, showing what he can do. Um, it's all about getting, I think, the focus of somebody like him and uh, he has proven in previous seasons that he's, he's got the quality. He, he doesn't play for the teams he has played besides Sunderland without having something about him. Um, I think, you know, Burton's remit for Saturday is to, to stop the supply line into Charlie White. Yes, they're all headers. So, you you know, Burton have suddenly become a lot 
taller team. They've got seven or eight players now over six foot. So it's not as though they were, which they were before, reliant on one one big player to mark a, a big man. Um, but just saying there, you know, you stop the supply line, you 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 know, teams would maybe man mark McGeady, depends on which wing he's playing on, who he who he gets a, a, a midfield player to supplement the fullback or whatever. And uh, the other thing is it's a smaller pitch at Burton. Uh, you know, sometimes the bigger clubs, you know, the stadium like it is a big playing surface. And uh, with somebody like McGeady, you you make sure you you get him out on the on the touchline or whatever because the the, cent, the the defense the fullback doesn't want to go out too far because it leaves a big gap then to the two centre halves. Where at Burton, it's a bit it's a narrower pitch and a, a shorter pitch, and sometimes the whole the play gets a little bit compressed. But yes, he's a known target. But similarly, I'm sure Sunderland will will think, right, yeah, Burton have had an upturn in form. You know, what do we need to do to stop them? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's, there's there's no easy games in this league because of how tight it is. I mean, we. Unfortunately, lost at home to Wigan when they looked like they were at rock bottom again. So there's no one that we can take too lightly, especially considering we haven't beaten Burton since about four managers ago, which is actually not that long in some will, but nonetheless. Um, one part I do find quite interesting, I always ask this on a weekly basis, and I'll be honest, the more that we've been in League One, the less people have answers. Um, and we've touched on McGeady, we've touched on Wyke. But from an outsider's perspective, which players stand out for you most for Sunderland when it comes to, you know, you being a Burton fan? Well, I, I quite thought Jordan Willis was a good centre-half and unfortunately he's out for the season, isn't he now? He had a, yeah. a big injury. Um, Burton fans will know Remy Matthews. Um, he had a, a spell on loan at Burton from Norwich in the past. Tom Flanagan obviously went to yourselves from Burton. He's out the team's injured as well, isn't he, at the moment? I think so. And hopefully Remy Matthews as well, because um, I don't mean to be mean to anyone, but he's had a horrific season at Sunderland. Well, he, <laughs> so gifted, well. he, gifted, he gifted Burton the goal in the, the game at the Stadium of Light. He's done that frequently. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But, I mean, um, you can have him back if you yeah. want. <laughs> nah, you know, and I remember Max Power playing against Burton for Tranmere in the conference. So, you know, the, the, I suppose that's the one good thing with Burton that people like myself who watch them, you, you've, you've seen players, you know, Burton have played against Charlie White. Charlie White's been at Bradford before. You know, so it's all about the service, isn't it, into a player like him. And, you know, he's obviously full of confidence because of the amount of goals he's scoring at the moment. Um the difference with Burton is, you know, you've got 17 goals now, Charlie White, this season? Uh, 21 in all competitions, 17 yeah, you know, in League One, yes. Yeah, well, Burton scored 32 goals, but they've had 14 different scorers now. And and that was that was very prevalent when Jimmy was here before, that the goals were spread around. They weren't reliant on one person for the goal. And sometimes I believe that's harder for a team to p- prepare against than the team that has one man scoring all the goals. Yeah, absolutely. I'd agree with that. I think it's sometimes better if you can share the goals between. I remember me growing up, you had the Phillips and Quinn, but you also had Alan Johnson, Summerby, Lee Clark, Alex Ray Chipman in seven or eight as well. And, you know, it's fair to say that's probably the best side I've ever watched in a red and white shirt. Um, I suppose finally then, score prediction as always. How do you see the game going on on Saturday? I don't think it'll be a goal fest. Mm-hmm. I, think, um, I think, you know, Burton have played in, They've had three 1-0 games, two 1-0 wins, a 1-0 defeat to Ipswich and a 2-0 win. So there's not been a lot of goals. So if you were a betting man, I think under two and a half goals would probably be your, your bet for the game. Um, 1-0, 2-1, could go either way. I'm going to take 
I'm going to take Sunderland with a 2-1. I didn't have any idea okay. how it was going to go. I'm always wrong. I've never got one right this season. I think I've got okay. one at some point. So so definitely don't bet on the 2-1. Anyone who's listening, okay. because it will be wrong. But I'll, so I'll, for... go two, I'll go 2-1 for Burton, then if you win 2-1 on <laughs> Yeah. It, my predictions are never right. I think I've got one right all season. But Tony, thanks so much for coming on. Um, I would wish you good luck on Saturday, but I would be lying. But good luck after that. Um, and thanks again, as always, for coming on. No problem. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, Graham. My pleasure, mate. Not a problem.